Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour History. We are in 2022 now, so I thought it would be a good idea to start today's podcast or to do today's podcast about new laws that are taking place in California that started on January 1st. So that they are in effect now. Um, If you are not familiar with these, then, you know, continue to listen so we can go through them together. So keep in mind that some things that were signed in 2020 don't necessarily come into place in 2022. So not everything, right, that the governor Newsom um, signed is going to go into effect yet. But these are the ones that are going into effect or were effective as of January 1st. Okay, so one is about affordable housing. And so, you know, any of you who live in California know that it is ridiculous, the cost that it takes to live here. And, you know, of course, there are people who always say flippant things like, oh, you know, you can just move. But as many of you know, especially if you're from here, it's not just as easy as picking up and moving. That also requires money. Many people have bills that they've accumulated in California that even if they did go to another state, they wouldn't be able to, um, you know, put a real dent in their California bills and things like taxes. And so not only is housing affordable for buying, but it's also very unaffordable for renting. And I believe there was no state in all 50 states that um, the average full-time worker can afford a two-bedroom apartment. So um, this one is aimed at affordable housing. So there is a package of bills that is supposed to create more homes. And one of those is Senate Bill 8. So Senate Bill 8 is or puts limitations on local government's ability to downzone neighborhoods without planning to increase density in other areas until the year 2030. So it regulates policies which would make it harder to build affordable homes. So one of the important things about this is that it makes it so that current units can't be demolished um, and the same number of units not be made available. So let's say there is a complex that has 20 units. They can't demolish it and build five right on that new property. They'd have to have as many units as was already currently there um, at the property beforehand. And basically what I was mentioning before about the downzoning part um, is really sort of related to what I was just saying. So they can't get rid of housing units for people to live in without providing them somewhere else in the given city or county to live, which is very important. The next one that's also part of the affordable housing bundle would be Senate Bill 9, and that lets property owners build a duplex on a single family lot or to divide their property into two for a total of four units. Now, one of the things that it also says in this one is that if you are living, like if you own a piece of property, you can have up to two additional parcels for tenants that you you know could use to rent out to them. But one of the things that also says is that you have to sign um, basically 
like a contract or I'm not exactly sure what the word is, but you have to sign something saying that you as the owner of the property are also living in one of the habitable spaces. So for this case, it would be like, you know, you're living in the third parcel, which for most people would be, you know, the biggest part of the property where the main house is at. It also says that you have to have, um, you can't allow rentals for under 30 days. Now, I think this is very important because as we know, a lot of major cities have been seeing an uptick in things like Airbnbs. Now in San Diego, and I'm sure in other um, urban, major urban areas, they are trying to put restrictions on Airbnbs because while it is nice to be able to, you know, stay in a home, especially if you're traveling with a group of people, or maybe if you have a, um, if you're traveling with children, it can be nice to have a home base, right? If you wanted to like cook and have a yard and some things like that. And sometimes it is, um, sometimes it can be more convenient and less expensive than staying in a hotel, However, there is such a large surge in Airbnbs, especially for multi-unit complexes, that it makes the housing even more unaffordable for the residents of any given city or county. So there have been a lot more restrictions on tenants. There's, there's always been restrictions on tenants, you know, not being able to lease out their units legally for Airbnbs. Um, but now they're even saying that the owners of homes, the owners of multi-unit developments, for example, and even in this case of small developments where you may have a house and two other units, that you can't just let people come in and out um, on like an Airbnb basis. Because, of course, the goal is, is that the people who are the residents of any given city who work there, go to school, have families, etc., shouldn't have the cost of their rents <laughs> so exponential because there's less well there's not enough housing for them which makes it more expensive for everybody now one of the things with senate bill 9 is that of course some developments are going to have to go through a much longer process to get approved especially when we think about how it affects zoning and also local legislation educational resources transit things like that which is you know basically all a part of redlining but some of the, the, the developments won't necessarily have to go through that process. It really just depends. But I think this is a great step forward. The last cluster in that group for the affordable housing is Senate Bill 10. So Senate Bill 10 makes it so that cities or counties can pass an ordinance allowing for the streamlined construction of as many 10 units of as many as 10 units on a single parcel. So this is just another effort for them to make sure that they have more units available for California residents to be able to live, to not only make it easier to access housing, but of course, to bring down the price of housing to a more affordable level. Okay, so the next group of bills is about police accountability. So one of the big ones is Senate Bill 2 which gives the state of California the authority to strip police with misconduct records of their certification. Now, this is important because, of course, if you have a police officer who has a history of misconduct, um, you want to make sure that they can't just go get a job somewhere else. Okay, so it's aimed at preventing cops with a record of misconduct from resigning before they face discipline and then apply for a job in another jurisdiction within the state. 
that's very important because um, even when I used to work retail, they, you know, there was like a thing between retail workers where, you know, there'd be people who may have gotten caught stealing, right, or giving products to friends, family, etc. And if they could quit before they got caught, then they sometimes could avoid um, prosecution, right? Because they wouldn't be an employee when everything went down. So it's sort of the same thing in this case with police officers. If they are going to have misconduct investigations, it stops them from being able to just quit before they actually have, you know, their review, and then it's determined whether or not they had misconduct. It's also good because it prevents them from just being able to go to another area in the state and apply to be a police officer in another area when they evidently have conduct issues and have suffered disciplinary action because of their actions while on the job. So under the law, the Commission on Peace Officers Standards and Training would be able to review a local agency's investigation into an officer's behavior and determine whether to revoke their certification by a two-thirds vote. So generally, um, you know, things like gang activity, physical abuse, sexual assault, dishonesty, and tampering with evidence can trigger a review. And the law allows police officers to review and contest any disciplinary action, which is normal, right? Because, of course, if you are coming up under review, then, of course, you would have the chance to defend yourself. Um, There's another one that's called Assembly Bill 48, and it restricts the ability of law enforcement to use kinetic and chemical weapons during protests. So kinetic and chemical weapons that we're familiar with would be things like rubber bullets and tear gas. So under the new law, the police have to make an effort to de-escalate the situation and allow people an opportunity to leave the scene. That's very important because as we saw in the protests in the last few years, um, sometimes people weren't able to leave a protest um, after they were being, you know, told to disperse or they weren't given adequate time to, you know, leave the area, get to their transportation and then leave, which caused a lot of people being assaulted by police officers while they're exercising their First Amendment rights peacefully, right, because they were often unarmed and were not causing any damage that required them to be shot at in any way um, or tear gassed. And we also know that these things aren't always equal because we had a whole insurrection a year ago and they didn't get tear gassed and beaten up with rubber bullets and things like that. Most of the people made it back home safe. So um, this law requires police to make an objectively reasonable effort, quote unquote, to identify people who are engaging in the violent acts as opposed to people who aren't. So, of course, it's just saying, hey, you have to actually ascertain whether the people who you are you know, using any of these tactics on are a physical threat or if they're just there exercising their rights. And um, it prohibits the police from indiscriminately firing into crowds. Now, there's something that happened right before Christmas, and there was a young 14-year-old girl who was shot because um, a police officer shot into a store in the mall, and this 14-year-old girl was shot and died. So, Firing indiscriminately into crowds and with anything has been something that many communities have been calling for for decades to have stopped. 
um, because it just, you know, it leads to people being harmed who often have nothing to do with, you know, the reason why the police were called in the first place. So the last one um, is Senate Bill, well, excuse me, the last one in this set is Senate Bill 98. Um, and that goes into effect in 2022. And this allows journalists access to closed off demonstrations and protests. And I know that there were a lot of journalists in the last couple years of protests who, especially the last two years, who had identified themselves as journalists, but were still, you know, accosted by law enforcement, which usually is not supposed to happen um, in this country, or even when you have journalists who are reporting internationally in different conflicts and things like that. They're supposed to not have to be worried about that because they're just there to document everything. Now, there are some business changes coming. So businesses and operating in the state of California will have to undergo a couple different things. Um, There is Senate, excuse me, Assembly Bill 701, which really affects companies that have warehouses and employees that have a quota. So they have to tell their employees about the quota. And they're also prevented from prevented from using quotas that are so high that employees can't make, like they can't do their job, right? Or it stops them from being able to take a meal or a bathroom break because they have to worry about making this quota. Now, there are large companies, you know, especially one that starts with an A, that this is going to be a big deal for in the state of California. So it'll be interesting to see how um, they as a corporation and also how Prime sort of, buffers that. And there's also one for barbershops and cosmetology, well, cosmetologist shops, right? Beauty shops. Um, people who are going to be barbers or cosmetologists, instead of now having to do 1600 hours of training, they now only need to do a thousand hours of training. And I know that in some states, there were people, especially in the last few years, who've been talking about the fact that people who are barbers or cosmetologists had to do more on the job training um, than even police officers. So they're lowering that. And that's actually a part of Senate Bill 803, if you wanted to look that up. So another thing that's actually really cool that has to do with voting is that the state is going to have permanent mail-in ballots now. So with Assembly Bill 37, it makes statewide mail-in ballots permanent. So even if you don't necessarily request it, you will be mailed a mail-in ballot and you can fill that out and then mail it in, or you can continue to vote in person. But the point is that you won't have to specifically request it in order to get it. And that's important because sometimes, you know, the deadlines and everything being done in a timely manner is a really big deal when it comes to voting. Something that probably should have been, well, it should have been done a long time ago. I just, you know, couldn't believe that it is only being changed now. There's a couple things that have to do with um, sex crimes. So, well, in 2022, so this year, I almost said next year, right? I have to get used to 2022 now. So, there's officially no more distinction between rape and spousal rape. Let's have to pause, right? So, spousal rape was already considered a crime, But with Assembly Bill 1171, it changes the penalty. So before, you would still be penalized, but if you were married to the person you raped, then you would have 
less um less you know punishment if that makes sense i'm trying to think of a word but you wouldn't be punished as severely as if you weren't married to the person so another thing is that with you know 2022 it's also become it's also illegal in this state for someone to remove a condom during sex without obtaining verbal consent from their partner so that one is a part of assembly bill 453 so that makes stealthing as it's called commonly um illegal so you have to con- get you know verbal consent from your partner to take off a condom during sex there's also some new laws that are going to take effect with restaurants and bars so with assembly bill 1276 you will no longer get ketchup packets and single-use plastic forks with your food order unless you specifically ask for them so i did notice that sometimes when i use uber eats if i don't check the box that asks for um the utensils because sometimes i don't need the utensils but i want you know the ketchup packets like i really like the ketchup at a burger lounge i don't know why i think that that ketchup is better than heinz ketchup but um, if I don't check that I want the utensils, then I won't get the ketchup either. So that's going to be important for those of you who order food to go or, you know, especially when you're on your lunch break. If you're getting food to go, you want to make sure that you specifically ask for the plasticware if you're going to need it to eat. There's also a new law that requires restaurants to cut down on plastic waste by withholding single use plastic items such as plasticware or soy sauce packets. Um, which, you know, is in addition to the condiments like I just mentioned. And it looks like they're going to give restaurants and bars until the middle of the year, so around June 1st, to permanently um, make concessions for that. But one of the things that is great (laughs) is that um, you can still get your cocktails to go. So now that that's something that has been a result of the pandemic and, you know, ordering drinks at a restaurant to go, which, you know, California never did. Now, other states, I know, like Louisiana, for example, you can get alcohol to go and drive throughs and things like that and at restaurants. But in this state, we didn't do that. Um, But with Senate Bill 389, it actually extends that possibility to get the cocktails to go until the end of 2026. Also, there's one that um, has to do with minimum wage. So California is going to become or is has become the first state to require a $15 an hour minimum wage for businesses with more than 25 employees. And a lot of California cities, of course, like LA, San Francisco, etc. They've already reached that milestone. But um, the minimum for businesses with under 25 employees is now $14 an hour minimum um, within the new year. And the increase will go to 15 by January 2023. So businesses with 25 employees or less have an extra year to get up to that $15 an hour minimum wage. And then like the law says, with every year after that, the wage will raise annually based on inflation. And I just realized something that I forgot to mention with the um, quota employees, like who work for corporations that use warehousing and quotas as part of their employment conditions. Um, It's actually going to become illegal, or it is now illegal in the state of California, for employees to be fired for missing their quotas that interfere with their bathroom and their rest breaks. 
California also um, is the first state now that requires garment industry employees to be paid by the hour as opposed to by the number of things that they make. So that's also based on the quota system. And some of you know that I sew um, on my free time. It's like a hobby of mine. But, you know, everything that we wear is made by somebody. So oftentimes people who work in garment industry, in the garment industry, get paid by how many pieces of something that they make. So that may not necessarily be the whole item. They may just have to make a certain number of the same thing that, you know, gets put together by somebody else. But the point is that many of them do not make an hourly wage. And now in California, they are going to get an hourly wage, which is very, very important. For education, I think I've mentioned this before, but the state of California has been trying to make it easier for students who want to get their college education, especially students who are at the California community colleges. And they have been trying to streamline that process. So within, I don't, I didn't get to look this up to see if it's part of this um, with the 2022, but they've been trying to pass legislation that makes it so that the CSUs and the UCs have to take um, a decent number of California resident students, right, as opposed to what they've been doing often, which is taking an overabundance of out-of-state students and an overabundance of international students because those students pay a lot more tuition. And again, that's not, I think I've mentioned this before, but I just want to say that that's not to say that that diversity isn't important because it is. You do need people who come from out of state to contribute to the learning environment. You need people who come from out of the country to contribute to the learning environment. But the problem is that California residents are unable to send their children to school in the state, which is much more affordable because a lot of these schools are running like businesses and don't want those students. They're not taking students who do qualify and should otherwise be admitted to the university or the CSU system because they're not going to get as much money from them over the course of the semester and over the course of however many years of study that they have. So another thing that's coming that came um, into the state with 2022 is a streamlined application process for community college students. And the courses have to have the same numbers um, in order to reduce confusion. Now, for those of you who have taken college classes before, are currently or have in the past, and for myself also, I can say that it was always really confusing when at one campus, you know, this particular math is math, you know, 50, and at the other campus, it's math 65, especially because so many people take courses at different community colleges that fit their schedule um, and that they're using to transfer to a four-year school. It can make it really difficult, not only for the students to keep track, but also counselors who have to take into consideration different transcripts from different schools um, to try to make sure that students are meeting their requirements to get their education. News. Something that's good news to end the prison industrial complex is that there are steps being taken in California to reduce mass incarceration. And one of those is ending the mandatory minimum prison or jail sentences for nonviolent drug offenses. So it gives judges more discretion to impose probation or other alternative sentences as opposed to them having to give you a mandatory minimum. Now, something that I will say about mandatory minimums is that I was actually just talking to my mom about this because there were, you know, 
of the insurrectionists from last January, as I've mentioned earlier in the podcast, a lot of them got those same mandatory minimums, right, for the crimes that they committed. And I was laughing with my mom, like chuckling, because, you know, mandatory minimums were set up to get people of color, specifically like black people and brown people um, into jails longer and have to stay there because it fueled the economy of the states through the prison industrial complex. And so now you have it affecting the same people who never thought that they would have been, you know, victims of that. So that's good that they're ending it for nonviolent drug offenses. I think that they need to go through, of course, and expunge everybody who had a nonviolent drug offense, especially with related to marijuana especially because it's such a lucrative business now for people who are not from the communities that were already over-incarcerated and over-policed from it. Some other bills um, are Assembly Bill 600, which was um, introduced by Joaquin Arambula from Fresno, which ensures that crimes targeting people due to their immigration status are considered a hate crime. I'm not exactly sure why that wasn't always considered a hate crime, but now it will, or excuse me, now it is considered a hate crime. There's also Senate Bill 65, which is called the California Momnibus Act. That was introduced by Senator Nancy Skinner. And it goes into effect in August of this year, which helps tackle racial and ethnic disparities in maternal health outcomes um, by improving research and data collection. As some of you may know that um, Latinx and black women suffer disproportionately higher maternal death rates. And actually, even among white women, the maternal death rate in our country is much higher than that of quote-unquote developing or as they were formerly called third world countries so that's something that's very important especially if they want to increase the number of people who are having children to make sure that you know women are not dying and people excuse me are not dying um, while they're trying to receive health care related to a pregnancy there's assembly bill 101 which uses the appropriation of funds by the legislature that requires high schools to provide ethnic studies classes starting in the academic year 2025. So that would be the fall of 2025. And to make completion of a one semester course, a high school graduation requirement, beginning with the students that are graduating in the 2029-2030 school year. There's also Assembly Bill 286, which prohibits food delivery platforms from charging customers a price that exceeds the price listed by the food facility on their website at the time of the order. So I've noticed that also through using um, delivery apps through like for groceries or even for food that sometimes the company like Uber or Instacart or whatever, they charge you more for the item itself. And I have a friend who works for a company that shall remain anonymous and she picks up grocery items and she told me that, you know, they have told them specifically when you're doing that, you do not take a picture of how much the item costs. Like when you're taking a picture to give, um, to ask the person if they want a substitution. So this would prohibit the company from upcharging you for the item. It also says they have to specify for tips. So 
any tip or gratuity that's for a delivery order has to be paid entirely to the person who's delivering the food or beverage. And any tip or gratuity for a pickup order um, is to be paid in its entirety to the food facility. And also, just like with groceries, they cannot upcharge you for the menu item. And I've noticed that myself. Um, Sometimes if I'm using a food delivery service, it'll be more expensive than if I had just gone to the actual place myself. Sometimes it can be, you know, even more than a dollar. So that is now technically illegal. For those of you who've used genetic testing kits or um, gone through genetic testing companies, there is Senate Bill number 41. And what this Senate bill does is it establishes Genetic Information Privacy Act, which requires the genetic testing company to provide the consumer with information regarding their policies and procedures for the collection, use, maintenance, and disclosure of genetic data. And it also, they have to obtain the consumer's express consent for collection, use, or disclosure of their data as specified. And it also requires the company to honor the consumer's revocation of that consent and to destroy their biological sample within 30 days of the revocation of that that consent. So you can tell them that you no longer give them consent to use this genetic information. You want them to destroy it, and they have 30 days to do that. And they're also not allowed to disclose any of your genetic information to any third-party affiliation, which would, of course, affect potentially your um, health care plans and things like that. And there's also Senate Bill 639, which guarantees that persons with disabilities are not paid under the minimum wage. So that one has some provisions in it that don't get started until 2025. But I thought that one was also worth noting. So I just wanted to go over some of the things that are going to be in effect or that are in effect now that it's 2022. I highly encourage you to look up more. There are plenty more that I did not go over. There's a lot that have to do with instruction of students. There's some that have to do with students with disabilities, you know, within the primary and secondary education system. There are bills with regard to like wage theft and homelessness. So I encourage you to look those up, especially if you're in the state of California, because they are going to affect all of us. And even the ones that I mentioned already can also affect, you know, how much we're paying for things currently. We may see prices go down if you're using any sort of delivery service app or website. We may end up seeing some prices go up for things based on some of these rules and regulations. I definitely think we're going to end up seeing an increase in the price of clothing now that um, the garment workers are no longer paid by piece, they're paid an hourly wage. So that's going to affect the cost of clothing for sure, I think. And, um, you know, there's a lot more. So please look it up, you know, happy 2022. Thank you so much as usual for listening. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Have a good one, y'all. Bye.